Welcome to the AWP 2020 podcast by Bloomsday Literary and Effing Shakespeare, hosted by Kate Martin-Williams, Fu Lu, and Lily Wolf, narrated by Michael Julius Y. Adani. My father would call all the freaking time. I could be defusing a nuclear bomb <laughs> to save Houston, Texas, and my father would call. Fu, what's my password? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I can't get into my email. How do I reset the VCR? Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. How my, old's your cat? She's three. Oh, yeah. they're the same age. Yeah. They should be playmates. I know. They should be friends. <laughs> it's really hard to make a cat together. What wasn't fun was the pecker chicken. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> that was a word. This it sounds like a so, lot of fun. It's a woodpecker chicken. And my friend, producer Larry, is going to recreate what sound we heard at 4 a.m. this morning. Uh. Hey, it's, it's AWP day 407. It's day three. Is it day three? Yes, it's Saturday. It's book fair day. There's lots going on. And we have the Richard Z. Santos in our happy little corner studio today. In the booth. Yeah, Hi, Richard. Thank you. Hi. I'm excited Thanks to be coming. here. Thanks for coming today. Thank you. You have a new book out. I do. My first book, March 31st, from Arte Publico Press. It's called Trust Me. It's a novel. I'm really excited about it. That's really, really cool. I want to know a little bit about it. It's set in Santa Fe. We've got a couple of point of view characters. The main character is a East Coast political hack whose career is basically over. His previous candidate ended up in prison. He almost followed him into prison. Like, and, like you do. And like, like you do. <laughs> oh, and man. Nobody wants to hire him. Wait, um, where would you get the idea that a political figure might end up in jail? That's crazy. <laughs> Just a pure imagination. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now, I mean, I used to work in D.C. and I took a yeah. job, political job in Santa Fe, which is the same trajectory this person goes through. He stumbles into, like, corruption and danger, whereas I mostly stumbled into breakfast burritos and <laughs> lots of one. turquoise. Um, <laughs> That's a good one. But also dealing with some, some local people here who are on the ground or having their own struggles with, with family and mortality. And uh, just kind of weave some of their stories together. So the political hack is one point of view, and then who, who else is in there? Uh, there's another character named Gabe. So, so the guy coming in from the East Coast, he's hired to do public relations because this group has bought some land from a Native American Pueblo, and they're going to build a major airport in Santa Fe. Because uh, Santa Fe has a tiny little airport that's very sweet and it's very cute, but it's not very functional. So they're they're trying to build a new one. The problem is just before the book starts, they find a skeleton on the on the construction site, and since it's a Native American pueblo, that throws everything throws everything in a disarray. And so they want to bring him out to help navigate some of this. But with construction stopped, that impacts the other character, Gabe, who's just kind of scraping by in his 50s but still trying to live like he's in his 20s <laughs> inherited a house from his dad and just likes to drink a lot of beer and he's got a friend who he enjoys mm-hmm. doing mushrooms with and he has a vision and that vision tells him that uh, 
he's about to die of bone cancer. And uh, so he feels the crunch of actually trying to get his life together, uh, which is hard because he's out of work. Right on. When you sit down to write, are you, is that a consistent thing for you to do multiple POV, third person, or is it first person? Um, third person. Okay. Yeah, I'm different. And though that's just uh, there are two other POV characters on top of them. Yeah, you know, I, I guess it kind of is. It just sort of happened that way. Yeah. My, yeah. Uh, sec- my second book is I have a complete draft of it. Oh, cool. And it also has four different POV characters. It you just, just seemed like the best way. You just have lots of people bouncing around in there, huh? I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it also le- gives you a lot of troubles because what if they all sound the same and then that's boring? Or what if they're all too different and then everybody hates all the characters except for one so but I don't know you give get myself bored, a lot of problems what if, you get, yeah. if you get bored you switch to the other guy exactly so yeah. I think that's the benefit yeah 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 I have a personal affinity for collecting the mottos of airports so could we go on a weird Kate tangent here <laughs> do you know what the super cute airport in Santa Fe's was it Santa Fe the airport do you, do you know their yeah. motto no I don't so Knoxville's is you're good to go which strikes me as like, get the hell out of here. Yeah, <laughs> you know? go, go it's, now. Yeah. And there's like rocking chairs in the terminals. And I don't know why. I just, I find that really amusing. So I need to find out what the Santa Fe airport motto is. It's really tiny. It's very like, like Charles Lindbergh, like landed there a lot. Yeah, and yeah. And it's basically still looks the same way. Yeah. Whereas it, the Albuquerque airport is also tiny, but big for New Mexico. And everything is like trimmed and turquoise paint and you know kind of that fake wooden uh, you know vegas and just yeah. kind of architectural flourishes mm-hmm. i guess that's nice well the, the santa fe airport is it's really sweet connecting you to the world with an exclamation point <laughs> oh, no. and then right afterwards it says in all caps in inclement weather contact airlines directly <laughs> and by the world they mean like denver and houston <laughs> yeah. and there's like a couple flights yep. i think to el paso Good. You know, it's the enthusiasm that counts. See what I'm saying? This is fun. I like airport mottos. Yeah. Yeah. I've got questions about your previous life in politics. So what is easier, teaching American high school students (laughs) or writing speeches and and working on political campaigns? They're surprisingly similar. Oh, I want to hear it. I was hoping. I was hoping. They become this, like, obsessive. They're not just jobs. They're, like, your calling. Oh, both things. Both things, mm-hmm. right? And okay. the people drawn to both tend to be all in. People don't like, at least not good teachers and not good campaign people, like, they, they don't just do it halfway, right? They're there all the time. They work the longest hours. They don't take breaks. When they go on vacations, they're still thinking about, like, work when they do take vacations. And, it, and like, the downside is kind of the same, too. It's exhausting. It's all-consuming. It, it, it really does kind of, like grind people down that's part of why I left DC because like I looked around and I was like there aren't a lot of happy 50 year olds that are still doing this there's some rich ones um, (laughs) but I don't know if they're happy (laughs) and I think unfortunately we all had those high school teachers that were the same thing they were five years from retirement just sit down shut up do this work I'm just trying to get out of here so that's a downer, <laughs> but it's <laughs> true. Wah, wah. <laughs> but I, I guess the upside to that too is that like people really are committed to it. You yeah. Know? Like when you're working in politics, you you want to change the world. You know that your 
ideas are the best ones and your candidates are the, the right ones. And you want to connect your ones. candidates to the world yeah. like the connecting you like to the world. To the Send world. them through the Santa Fe Santa Airport. Fe we are sponsored by. <laughs> sponsored by, by the Santa Fe Airport. Four connecting connecting to you the world. to the world. Uh-huh. <laughs> Via well, four flights. <laughs> At 2.34, El Paso, Denver, Houston. <laughs> so, so back on the back on the train of your book, we're kind of curious. <laughs> yeah, that one. <laughs> uh, book talk. So we, we were curious, how did you find your way to Arte Publico? How, how did you get with them? Uh, it was a wild story. I, I, I wrote and rewrote this book at least three, like there are at least three complete drafts that look totally different. And I would just keep tearing it down and I would show it to people and they'd be like, no, this is not good. And they would make me tear it down again. I, I, I had a draft that I was like, finally, I am done. And I showed it to Tim O'Brien, who was one of my professors at Texas State. And he sent me back notes on the first 75 pages that made it very clear that I was very far from done. He just shredded it completely. But it was amazing. And those notes pushed me through the final draft. But still, you know, I had sent it to 50 agents and I got tons of encouraging rejections, but they were all rejections and I put it away and was happy. I was happy. I was like, fine, whatever. Every writer has the desk drawer book and this is mine. Cool. I'd already started another one. <laughs> if you could see Richard's Bitter. face just now. Cool. I probably heard it yes. in the way I said cool. That's very uh, good. That's what my, te- my students hear all the time cool. too, by the way. Hashtag uh, Cool. Uh, <laughs> and uh, then they want Arte Publica won the National Book Critics Circle Lifetime Achievement Award last year, mm. and I was like, "Oh, hey, hey. Okay. nice work!" And I saw that they have open submissions, and I was like, "Okay, this is the actually the last the last time I'm going to inflict this on anybody." <laughs> and they wrote me back within like a month saying that they were on board and wanted to do it. Nice. And, and now here we are. And did you throw throw a little party? Tiny little party, but mostly it was just confusion <laughs> and uncertainty. Santa Fe Airport. <laughs> the Santa Fe Airport. Sorry. No, but it's exciting, and, and the editing process has been good. Unagented and, yeah. and just yeah. Sometimes that's really great yeah. to have that kind of editorial relationship and and just get right into it, get right to it. Yeah, they've been really good to work with. The edits I got back are great. Really tightened up the book. We chopped out ten thousand words, which I think it needed. And so mm, I feel nice. good about that. Very, very cool. What's next for you? I'm, I'm going to be doing some work for the Writers League of Texas, helping to plan their agents and editors conference in June, if I we're heard, still um, having conferences in June. <laughs> That's really cool. So that should be fun. I heard that you're going to start working for Trump too, right? <laughs> <laughs> back, into, back into politics. Now, I've been tempted. Every every year since I left D.C., it's like, oh, maybe I it, should go back. Is it maybe still kind of itchy? Back. Yeah, yeah, I think so, but not not so much that I'm ready to go back. I imagine you probably didn't get much writing done. Usually not, except for the one I I think to a certain extent my career as a writer is thanks to the Obama-Clinton primary fight in 2008 because I was hired by the AFL-CIO to help do their political outreach to their members and I was hired at the beginning of February, end of January it was after the New Hampshire primaries Yeah. because Historically, they've had a candidate by the beginning of March. And so the AFL-CIO would know who they were endorsing. They would go from there. So I was hired to help do that, except 
it kept going and going and so you going. you couldn't like prep anything because you didn't know which way it was going to go? There were a couple Dang. of months. There's at least two months where we were like kind of laying the groundwork and working through some ideas. So like, <laughs> but we had a lot of free time and I wrote like several stories nice. and stuff there. I love it. Well, I hope to see your star continue to rise. It's so good to know you. Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. We are here with Yadasa Williams, and we are going to talk about all kinds of things. We're going to talk about YA literature. We're going to talk about black girl magic. We're going to talk about wardrobe design. Fantasy. I mean, we're going to hit it all. I like it. Yeah, I just saw your beautiful new book that's coming out May 2020. Yes, I'm so thrilled. I have completed my debut novel. It's coming out May 19th of this year. It's called The Goddess Twins. It's a young adult fantasy about identical twins who discover their goddesses when their mother goes missing. So it's about you and me? (laughs) So it's true life. (laughs) Based on true story. It's based on my real life story. Yadasa and Kate Martin Williams. This is me coming out as a full-on goddess. Um, (laughs) True story, though, it is inspired by... A summer that I had in 2006. So my family is Jamaican and I have relatives in London that my mom reconnected with after years of not even knowing where they were, just knowing they're in London. Oh my gosh. So in 2006, she sent me to London to stay with my family for like two months. Oh my goodness. And literally it was the summer of my life. Wow. Before then, I had been very quiet, introverted, Uh you know, shy, Uh typical writer style. Uh But that summer, when I met my cousins, which they were amazing, amazing individuals, they really pushed me out of my shell. They were like, what's on your face? You want to say something? Say something, cousin. And I was like, no, it's not nice. And they're like, who cares about nice? Just say what you (laughs) think. And I was like, what is this world? I'm allowed to be who I want to be? And, like, they encouraged me to dress up. I got a nose piercing that summer. I was dyeing my hair. We were going out and dancing. I was kissing boys. Like, (laughs) all the things. They just, like, showed me that I could be bigger than who I was. Oh, my word. And, like, after that summer, I came back home. I remember my mom literally couldn't recognize me from the airport. She was like, what? Who are What did you do? (laughs) Who am I picking up? What's in your nose? Why is your hair pink? Like, (laughs) but, yeah, I credit that summer with, really getting me out of my shell. Oh my gosh, how old were you? I was 15, 16. Yeah. What um, a dream. It was definitely one of the most inspirational times of my life. And so this is like kind of a fantasy snapshot of how that summer felt to me. I feel like I became a goddess then. I want to go read it right now. Yay. That's that's super exciting. What what was it about fantasy that led you to the genre? Oh, growing up, so my dad is a huge fantasy nerd himself and loved Dune, like, uh-huh. from the original books, uh-huh. the original book series, oh like, God Emperor of Dune, Children of Dune, like, like I read those books because they were in my library from my father. Oh, wow. And um, 
growing up, we would have watched the Dune series, and he's a very like, oh, this scene, this scene, you gotta watch this part. Oh, oh, watch what he does here, and, like, <laughs> and just very into it. And you know, I love like the never-ending story, and like I love the never-ending yeah. story. I just loved fantasy stories. I love seeing characters like discover magical powers yes. and discover another realm, and mm-hmm. those just always felt so I don't know why, but real to me. Yeah. Um, so growing up, I grew up in Ohio. Um, me too. Like, no, wild. I didn't. I, oh. oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't know? You were in Ohio. Guys, I was <laughs> born in Ohio. Time. I just really want to be sisters with you, Dasa. <laughs> yeah, we're going to so figure excited. out how we're related. Okay, we'll all right. I, did gr- I was born in Columbus, but I did not grow up there. We I moved to Houston. Yeah. Oh but I always felt like a, like a transplant. Like, yeah, even in school, people were like, why do you talk like a white girl? And like, you know. <laughs> All of that stuff. Yeah. I'm, I'm very black girl magic. So I was just like confused how people took me. Yeah. And I felt like, okay, I'm an alien or something. I'm supposed to discover really where I'm from because this <laughs> is not it's it. Not <laughs> so I would always connect with those stories of, yeah, like people discovering their magical ancestry. And I'm like, oh, I know that's going to be my story. So yeah, I was always drawn to fantasy, loved reading fantasy books, you know. Obviously, the Harry Potter series was really, like, inspirational to me. and But I always felt like, where am I in these characters? Right. Where Where's the person that looks like me, that feels like me, that's in this situation? And I feel like for a long time I was looking for that book and searching for that book. Mm-hmm. Thank God for Octavia Butler. Mm-hmm. But right. still, in a lot of ways, it wasn't young adult enough of, like, the coming of age story. Yeah. Yeah, sure. So... It was actually in 2014 that I had a huge, like I call it my creative renaissance. So I had worked in fashion and even gotten my master's degree in fashion. And I wanted to be like a fashion CEO and I was in the industry and it was breaking me down. Like I was like mentally and physically falling apart from the stress. Mm -hmm. And so one of my best friends was like, come with me to Burning Man. And I was like, what is that crazy thing? (laughs) So in 2014, I went to Burning Man and that was the change that I was like, oh my gosh, I have this story inside of me. It needs to come out. It's powerful. It's so much more important than me sitting and pushing numbers on an Excel spreadsheet to make a company money. I need to write this story Mm -hmm. about black magical girls. Um, So since 2014, I started writing. Like actual black girl magic. Literally black girl magic. Like I saw the story at Burning Man that I was like, I've been suppressing this story that I know I want to see in the world. And that was 2014. That was 2014, and then the past six years I've been writing so you, this you novel. You just waved your magic wand. <laughs> Boom! Here's the book. And now there's a whole book out, and oh I'm gosh. so proud of it. And it represents a lot of my family. Mm-hmm. There's a grandmother character that they meet who's like straight Jamaican OG. Nice. She speaks to them in patois, which like I even wrote out the patois and had my mom check the patois because I wanted it to feel really real of the mm-hmm. Jamaican culture. And you know, it's a snapshot of my cousins. The cousins that I met in Jamaica are literal characters in this book. So in so many ways, it really is like, my coming of age 
as yeah. a fantasy story. That's so, so, so cool. Thank you. How did you find your publisher? I'm so grateful. So I actually had come to AWP, I think it was a couple years ago, 2018. And that was around the time that I was kind of finished with the manuscript. But I was like, how do you know when you're ready to like send it out and get it on? And so I got the advice that somebody gave me that they were like, look at publishing contests because they have a date and then you can make that date your date that you're done and start sending it out to agents, you know, things like that. That's like the AWP tip of the day, I think. I loved yes, that for tip. our listeners. You finish yeah. the book. You, like, <laughs> like, finish the book, find a date, and be like, I am done by this date, and I'm not moving backwards. Deadlines have huge amounts of power. This is true. Yeah. yeah. So I found this contest through She Writes Press. They were looking for books that had a like multicultural spin and I was like well definitely this is it and so I let that date be my like final date I applied to the contest and I started sending it out to agents that I had like met at AWP or like through online research and I hadn't heard anything I was getting a little hits on my query but a lot of like this sounds really great but not what we're looking for but mm -hmm. thank you so much and good luck and then I got an email from She Writes Press that I was in the top five of their contest selection. And I was like, what the heck? I was like, now it <laughs> yes. means I got a decent manuscript. And so I was just, I was overjoyed by that. Like, I was like, oh my gosh, top five. Like, it means my manuscript is decent enough to get an agent, hopefully. And then like months went by and I just assumed I didn't get it. And then this is the crazy part. So I get an email from them saying they have picked their winner and it's not me. So I was like, okay, but they said, because my book was so YA and they were looking for a more like adult women's book mm -hmm. to choose for She Writes Press, mm -hmm. but they shared my book with their YA imprint, which is Spark Press, and Spark Press loved my book and wanted to publish it. So Spark Press was willing to honor the contest winning for the She Writes Press contest, but for them. So nice. I, I won the That's contest amazing. by not winning the contest. <laughs> Whoa. That's how you yeah. do it, folks. Absolutely wild. So that's, yeah. again, my advice. Like, even if you're like, oh, I'm a little bit not, you know, what they're looking for, go ahead and send it in because you don't know who's, like, analyzing it and right. reading it at the end of the day. And they might be like, oh, this isn't a hit for this, but I know where this novel could land. Yes. Yeah. And I had no idea that my novel was going to land at Spark Press, but I'm so grateful for applying to the contest and them seeing something in my work. Very cool. That's no two publishing stories are alike. Exactly. Yours is fantastic. Oh my Unlike Yudasa and me, who are exactly alike. I'm just going to keep returning to the same joke today. Just the one joke. I was it's, growing it's up in Ohio. <laughs> growing up in Ohio was amazing. I don't know what's happening. Okay. Well, we were, we were, I wish people could see how awesome your hair is, first of all. Thank it's you. like a purple gradient. It's beautiful. Thank you. And it's so the we, color of my soul. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Bright purple. Oh, it's great. And so, and so you still do, you call yourself a wardrobe wizard. Yes. And you still do fashion and you still are in that world how do how do these two intersect do you find yourself writing about it or oh yeah. there's just magic all across the board oh thank you i 
it's funny because like yeah when I realized I was like I have these two really strong passions Mm -hmm. fashion and writing both very creative very creative and I was like you know like people were like you need to pick one you need to only do one and I was like I feel like both fulfill me so much and Mm -hmm. I feel like one day one day I tried to describe it I was like I'm a storyteller with both words and clothing yes because I love to tell stories with clothing right now I'm like doing this bright pink animal print thing and yeah I just feel like it matches my hair and I'm like a vibrant like character and yeah um so I I love working with styling I work with individual clients who need their wardrobe like updated or author mother of the bride if you're doing a reading if you're an author and you want to like step up your game I can definitely help you with wardrobe you cannot you yes you you don't know how much as like someone who publishes authors how how many questions we field in that vein like what about this should I what should I do something like real on the nose or should I go go out how do you you know which like I love to field those questions but I could just forward them to our new staff member at Bloomsday Literary who (laughs) we're gonna pull as a fashion (laughs) consultant from Ohio yeah um and it's, it's interesting, too. Like, opportunities have just come abound wow. as I've just been like, you know what? Um, I kind of decided I don't want to work industry fashion. Like, mm-hmm. I want to work, mm-hmm. you know, with people. I want to work with projects because I found working in the industry really soul-crushing for me, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to, say the, to say the least. Uh-huh. Um, so, so, yeah, I've just been open to opportunities that come up. I've worked with musical artists on, like, setting up wardrobe for their tour. Um, two years ago, I worked on an independent film that was shooting in the Bay Area that's actually right now on Netflix. It's called what Freshman it called? Year. I was the lead wardrobe stylist, so I was, like, telling everybody, like, you need to see this movie and look at the clothes. That is so cool. Because I chose the clothes. So cool. Um, and, yeah, I'm, I'm actually about to go back to the Bay and work on a commercial project with a friend who's an artist, and she needs, like, a visual, um, like, match to her artwork that's going to be in the background. And so I'm choosing the wardrobe, and we're working together to collaborate on it. Wow. Um, so I really love working with wardrobe styling, and I feel like... It fuels also my writing, working with people. Like, I, I love people watching and seeing their idiosyncrasies and yeah. seeing their characters. We don't do any people watching at AWP. There's none like at all. none. No, no, no. I none just we do dog myself, watching. And I look away. Dog watching. There, there were some cats, too. Like, oh, really? Not real cats, but like oh. fake cats. Oh, at huh? the, like, the Kickstarter table oh, I they have a fake yes. cat i've walked by it a hundred times i'm like oh my god there's a cat. Is it like one of those that moves and meows yeah oh, i just gosh. like watching people like interact with it because some oh, people are like afraid some people are like yeah some people are like yeah, what and, yeah. oh, i would yeah. like to award kickstarter with the best booth of awp yeah, yeah. we yeah. give them like a apartment almost a sanitizer Gold trophy <laughs> be like you win all the you rest the of hand us sanitizer. defer to your like your I, it, it's like a couch and there's a rug in there and some bookshelves yeah, and really the cat. They really the cat. set up. Yeah. Go take a nap there. It is. It's like a whole apartment. I'm in San going, Francisco would be $4,000. I, I will also <laughs> bestow you with the fashion award of AWP. Oh my gosh, totally. Oh, totally. You You're the best. Thank you so much for coming on yes. the show. Thank you for letting me talk about my book, for letting me talk about my passions. Yeah. 
I, I also want to just leave a little note of dedication. So this book is dedicated to my cousin Chanel. Oh. She is, as I as I talked about, one of my cousins that I met in London originally. She's one of the characters, Liberty, and she recently passed away. Oh. It was really sudden, and I'm so grateful that she's you know immortalized in my book. Mm-hmm. I'm doing my best to try to go to London and be a part of her funeral, but. I just wanted to leave a little note and say like this is dedicated to Chanel and and definitely for artists I think there's something magical about you know putting people you love in your books yes. so that they can live forever. Oh, Chanel live on forever. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. This is wonderful. Hello, we are here for an interview with Alia Volts. Yes, and she has a debut memoir called Home Baked, and I'm so excited to talk to you about it. Thank you. Yeah. Happy to be here. And it comes out 420. It does. It's genius marketing. It's our entire marketing plan. I mean, fact. it practically writes itself. <laughs> it's I, the entirety it of was the, the plan. least ex- the least surprising email with the most number of exclamation points I've ever received in my life. Quite a, My quite editor's a like, I've got it. You're like, this is it. And I'm like, I know. I was expecting this. <laughs> okay, so tell us what your book is about. So... Um, my folks had the first high-volume cannabis edibles business in San Francisco in the 1970s. They were baking and distributing like 10,000 brownies a month in an antique Wedgwood oven all over the city. And then underground, um, yeah. Very underground, mm-hmm. very illegal, very popular. These are disco days, so it's like Harvey Milk and Sylvester, and that this whole vibrant, crazy crowd was into it. And then AIDS hit San Francisco very hard, and the community that surrounded this started to die off. And it, and so the the business, Sticky Fingers Brownies, became part of the dawn of medical marijuana. So the book is about the transition from party drug to panacea, or dealer to healer, that, that whole transition that marijuana has made in our public consciousness, which happened vis-a-vis the AIDS crisis. Wow, And yeah. it, then it's through the lens of this DIY, funky family bakery. Yeah. How did you know that it was going to be this kind of hybrid, right, where you're talking about heady social issues Mm. and also personal history. Yes, I didn't know that. Okay. (laughs) It took a long time. My my book journey has been long and winding. (laughs) It started out as an oral history because my family tell they tell great stories. So I I started recording the stories just to preserve them. You started recording them. Yeah, I started my mom and my you know, especially my mom. She's a great storyteller. So Uh, She was having a health issue, actually, and I started recording because I thought, I want this in her voice in case things go awry here. And then I started getting curious about it and recording other people in the family business, and then it branched out, and then it's their customers, and the customers' customers, and the growers, and then eventually I found myself interviewing a former SFPD police sergeant, and I was like, okay, now we've jumped the track, because I was raised not to talk to cops. It was rad. That was surreal. But... (laughs) Right. So it was originally an oral history, which shopped in 2009, did not sell. At the time, a lot of editors said that cannabis was just too much of a niche market. 
like it was only going to interest a few aging hippies. That has obviously changed. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. You no, know, <laughs> selling $4 coffee will never catch on. Right. No, never. Right. But Bottle water, people drink that for free. <laughs> never. Yeah. So, I mean, it really uh, speaks to how much cannabis culture has changed. Now it's a big business. It's the Green Rush. So I picked up the project again after leaving it alone for a while. And at that point was really interested in the historical context and wanting to make it ultimately it became hybridized and just using the memoiristic voice as an excuse to get to things that interest me a lot more 70s and 80s in San Francisco were fascinating it's so juicy to write about sure yeah and, and the and the memoirs kind of just a a way a way in and a way through yeah that's fantastic for our listeners who are also writers which is a lot of them <laughs> <laughs> You're a McDowell Colony fellow. Yeah. Can you can you talk about what that's meant for both for in terms of writing, critique, but also support? Oh yeah, McDowell was transformative for me, in part because my book shopped while I was at McDowell. So I got there and was doing the last rewrite on my proposal with an ag- a new agent, my new agent, and um, it was dreamy. It was a really deep, uncomfortable dive, and it was great to have the solitude and support. And that was the first two weeks. And then the second two weeks, the book was on submission. And the community at McDowell, you know, so many of the other writers who had been there had already been through that mm-hmm. process mm-hmm. of having a book on submission. And so that was invaluable. So you're clutching really, at the tables, yeah. and they're like... It's crazy-making. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's crazy-making to be on submission. So that was really great, but also... Having artists in all fields is inspiring in so many on so many levels, but that same kind of feeling of like your career could possibly launch or it could tank and this is the moment is something that functions across genres right. or across mediums, I, mm-hmm. I mean to say. Mm-hmm. And so that community was really wonderful. You go and you isolate during your studio during the day and then at night everyone has dinner together and then you all hang out and play bizarrely ping pong. <laughs> <laughs> until you know all hours and and get up into it again but it was it was really important and how did did you was that a concert i mean obviously it's a concerted effort but how did you find your way there to mcdowell i applied and crossed my fingers and eyes (laughs) i don't know like hell yeah actually i was i got in through the waiting list Okay, cool. Yeah, so that does happen. <laughs> I was I was waitlisted and then I got pulled off of it and it was the timing was just perfect. It was yeah. just when I needed that kind of environment. And residencies like that I've also done U Cross. Okay. And later in the in the editing process mm-hmm. and did a whole revision there. Oh that's that kind good. of just like the deep dive that you can do at a residency combined with the support and, and community and being removed from the home environment, all of that, I find incredibly inspiring. I think that's a really helpful note. What are some of the memoirs that you look, maybe look to as influences? Oh. The other pot brownie memoirs. <laughs> <laughs> I have never read another pot brownie memoir. I, I think I'm, I think I'm pioneering a new sub, 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 sub genre here going to break out. <laughs> well, there, there is, however, there is a memoir of uh, a guy who was the child of an East Coast super high volume, super big time weed smuggler. 
and uh, his name is Anthony DeCopel. He's uh, he's also a CBS. He's a CBS anchor man. Oh. You see, as he's got one of those perfect faces that you see <laughs> sometimes in the morning. And his book is called The Last Pirate, and it's kind of similar to mine in that it's more about his father and his father's career and about policy and the culture at the time than it is about you know his child's life. The other one that I drew a lot from is Bridgette Davis's The World According to Fanny Davis. Oh, okay. And um, that's our sub-sub-sub-genre is the memoir. <laughs> Yeah, 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 <laughs> right? yeah, yeah. And uh, have you read that? No, I, it's sounding more and more familiar when you're talking about okay, it. That's spectacular. So it's her mom was a numbers runner in 60s and 70s Detroit. I Yes, I heard the blurb for this. She's fabulous. She yeah. was supposed to be here. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And we've become friends of a sort since oh, cool. then. And yeah, she was kind enough to blurb, blurb for me. But our books are really similar in that way in that it's so much more about the social issues and the world surrounding like this un- this underground community that's illegal and it's criminal and it's secretive you grow up hiding it but at the same time you know that your mother's work is good for the community you know that what they're doing is right even though you have to hide it yeah how complicated it it mm-hmm. it is and you the know same for and what it's you say yeah. yeah yeah how cool very cool What's been the weirdest moment for you at AWP 20? <laughs> she said as a dachshund walked by. I just saw a little dachshund. Discounting now? Uh, um. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> last night, so I've, I've been organizing a lot of things this year, and of course everything went to hell in a handbasket, but it's also been really fun. Yeah. I'm, I have to, I'm kind of liking the chaos. I think we I'm... We keep hearing that. I'm a child of chaos anyway, yeah, and yeah. I just am digging it. It's. I think, this is weird, my favorite AWP. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Because we're all like, nothing is going according to plan. Yeah, and we just have to row with it, it's, right? You can't be uptight. It's no. Not, I mean, you no. will just collapse. And no. Yeah, absolutely. We went to a reading uh, last night, and our, um, our penultimate reader was up there talking about kids and drunks being the last truth tellers <laughs> and at about five minutes later a toddler wandered in from the playground because we were at this like open air restaurant and there was a playground uh-huh. and a kid wandered onto the stage and then our reader just read the rest of his piece to the kid and it was oh. this moment of like kismet that's know? magical yeah it was really great so last night really great. I had so I, I, I had curated a, a reading for memoirs that was supposed to take place at this at a kind of a nice cocktail bar downtown, and unrelated to Death Cold 2020, <laughs> the events guy at this place started ghosting me about two weeks before the conference. Oh, the worst nightmare. And yeah. yeah, and I just I couldn't get a confirmation from him or anything, and he and the voicemail boxes were full, and I just I couldn't find out if we had a venue. And when I got I got here on Wednesday and went to kind of confront him. And he all of a sudden wanted a $500 deposit that he hadn't asked for in December when I booked it. So uh, we got into a yelling match and I lost my venue. (laughs) (laughs) And so, but I ended up seeing that Memoir Mondays had booked this bookstore and they pulled out. So I called the bookstore and the guy's like, sure, we'd love to have you. Okay, this bookstore, it's called Dead Tree Books. It's lovely, lovely guy Uh in a totally bizarre part of town, really far away. And it's all paperbacks. All of his books are $3, and they're like musty, fusty paperbacks. 
and it <laughs> and this place and the place is like full of boxes and it's basically somebody's living you know it has like this feeling a like a barn cat that wow around. yeah it's really 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 funky all the you know signs are like written in ballpoint pen it, it was <laughs> really trippy so i get get there and i've cajoled all of these people into reading half of which were not originally scheduled right and I'm like, oh, no, what have I done? <laughs> and he, he set up all these, like, falling down, collapsing chairs and, like, funky couches in a circle. And it looks, for all the world, like an AA meeting. Wow, oh what, are we, what are oh we getting into? So people start getting there, and everybody looks stunned and terrified. And we ended up with... 20 people yeah That's which great. seemed like a decent turn of, sure. I mean of course like that includes the readers and their spouses right it counts yeah, yeah. it counts look it but counts we're all sitting in a circle and I think because it had that meeting feeling the readings were really really personal people changed what they were going to read and picked like a really heavy part yeah and there were tears and it was kind Aww. of half therapy session oh half reading and it was cool. It was like, what yeah. is going on? This is so bizarre. It was so weird. I love it. But I like that. I like like. Yeah. I don't know. You I couldn't think it's have. Fun. You couldn't have planned that because yeah. it totally would have I failed. Gotten on it, stage yeah. and you know done the usual thing. Sure. Yeah. And this was not the usual thing. <laughs> AWP twenty. Not, <laughs> not the usual the thing. Not the usual thing. Yeah. <laughs> At all. <laughs> oh, that's such a great story. What is what's next for you? I'm. Did I just ask the question that like seniors in college don't want to be asked? Oh like God. you're about to graduate. What's next? And oh like your God. book's not even out. And I'm asking you what's next. So which what, is terrible. Well, what Tell do me you to mean? shut up. If that's not the I question. Did, I even. just not. Like, are there new projects in your head? Oh, are you, um, geez. I, or where are you going for lunch? Like either <laughs> one of those questions is well, fine. <laughs> but I don't know. I'm, my book launches in like four weeks. And so that's very stressful, you know, the PR machine is kicking in to whatever degree it's going to kick in. There's, you know, there's some radio and stuff like that. And I have a lot of touring planned. Yeah. And um, meanwhile, the entire world is is bathing in Purell. So I yeah. don't know if any of the things that I have imagined in my, in my next few months are actually going to happen or... But the good thing is readers are still reading, you know, right. and finding their way to books that they I like. I do a virtual book tour. Don't. Okay, okay. Tour. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Damn it. It's going to work. It's going to uh, work. I have a good feeling. Yeah. We're going to stay up. <laughs> We're going to stay positive. I, you know, I don't know. I'll cry later. Okay. <laughs> you know what? It's been a pleasure to get to know you. It's been really nice talking thanks with you. For, thanks for having thanks me Thanks for being on the show. Welcome to the Blazer. We're here with Sonia Hamer, student in the UH Creative Writing Program. She's here to talk about fashion. Who are you wearing? Let's see, um, Forever 21. <laughs> Big fan. Yes. Yeah. What are you about? What am I about? Well, I, you know, right now, got oranges. I'm all about citrus, zinc. Dig it. Why yeah. citrus? Yeah, it helps you. It's good for your immune system. Oh, uh, and yeah. we're here at the AW Book yeah. Festival, which is kind of like has that. It's it's kind of small this year because of the coronavirus mm-hmm. scare. And what what do you think of the whole thing? That whole situation. I mean, I, I definitely understand people's 
hesitation and fear, and I yeah. definitely understand the the criticism. I didn't lose that much by coming here because yeah. you know I'm staying with my sister. Yeah, she lives in San Antonio. It's almost like you know we're at the last day of festival. First day, everyone's doing the elbow bumps. Yeah. Today, everyone I feel like is just like hugging. But there's something kind of like a radical kind of like I trust you. As as don't get me wrong. Right. We're spreading it. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> like, it's happening. But there is something kind of nice about being just like, you see someone, and like, I trust you. Fuck it, man. I'm just going to hug you. Oh, yeah. And it, and, it, and it feels like, you know, it's, I don't know. It's Yeah, that's why I don't res- make people get STD tests. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I haven't said. <laughs> uh, we got, I trust we got, you. We're, trust we're, we're at AWP. <laughs> that's, that's the last ah. virus we should be concerned about. <laughs> All right. So, so what else are you about? So you're so about I, your zinc. You're about uh, the health. You're yeah. about and you get this great. Uh, you have this great citrus dress on, actually. Yeah, yeah. Because you know, I don't have to like. I, I'm pretty sure that I don't have to eat the oranges for them to work. Yeah, yeah. Like I think, I think just the orange color will scare away any virus. <laughs> you say so bright. Yeah. Vibrant. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's springtime, man. So all right. So. Talking to the end of viruses, is my last question. What's your favorite virus? Oh, we talked about uh, bacteriophages. Yeah, bacteriophages are cool. They like latch on to the bacteria, like get their DNA in there, uh-huh. just hijack. I mean, that's how all, all viruses work. But the bacteriophages are like a cool little shape. What's um, what are the shape? I'm not. It's it's like a little geometrical casing at the top and then they've got this little stock and legs oh, that they cool. use to attack yeah oh those are those things those like yeah. yeah i've seen those like octagonal or hexagonal things with it, the oh yeah. yeah are you like a really like are you, were, did you study like um are you like a biology nerd or were you like i into... i am a, a lot of different kinds of nerd yeah but do I, you tell what oh well like i play a ton of dungeons and dragons do they have bacteria pages in there you know you definitely could i will consider that for my next character just like a giant bacteria page <laughs> like Casting, casting spells or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, Sonia Hamer, thanks so much for joining us on Blazer. No problem. I'm really excited to get to talk to David Lidacker Luna about Fiesta Youth. Yes. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. We really appreciate it very, very much. It's so great to be here. My goodness. We appreciate you being here. Thank you very much. Tell us about what you're doing. All right. So Fiesta Youth, we are an LGBT youth organization here in San Antonio, Texas. We cater to 12 to 18-year-old youth here in the city and outside of the city as well because we have uh, kids that come over all the way from Corpus Christi, all the way from South Texas. We have a weekly programming every Tuesday night at our home location here in San Antonio at Woodlawn Point, which is right across the street from Jefferson High School. So perfect location. Oh, good. So all of our youth can come right after high school, right after school and uh, do some homework before the meeting actually starts. So, oh, nice. Yeah, so, but we are here this week. So happy to be here this week to be able to uh, um, showcase our organization to all the attendees that are coming here and uh, all the university presses and just, just everyone that's, that's in attendance here. It's so great to welcome everybody from all over the country here to our city and showcase our organization, showcase the city in and of itself. 
we're just very, very happy to always welcome people into our city, and Fiesta Youth loves to be a part of, of that. San Antonio is a great city. Thank you very much. I believe so, too. <laughs> we we have experienced nothing but love and care and That's generosity right. of spirit at every turn, and you can't say that for every city. <laughs> no, 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 no. We were very happy coming in here, and just the first night, just going out onto town, and the people were just so generous and so welcoming coming here to the convention center whatever help we needed they'll escort us take us through you know answer all my crazy questions even <laughs> let our intern lily ride on the cart to the restroom <laughs> that's great that's good that is the kind of city we are yeah, yeah. we are a very welcoming city and uh, you know we're one of the tourist destinations so of course we have to cater to that but it's not even just being a tourist destination. It's also it's just the city that we are. I think it's the people. It is. Mm-hmm. It is. We love people here mm-hmm. in San Antonio. Mm-hmm. We are a huge, diverse city. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't realize how diverse we are and how welcoming we are. And we just thank everybody for coming down and uh, accepting us and having a and having a great time because I'm seeing all the pictures, from oh, all yeah. of the, all the posts and all yeah. the uh, between Facebook and Twitter and TikTok, everything. Yeah. I mean, it's just everyone's having a really, really good time. Yeah people are realizing that the Alamo is in the middle of the city. <laughs> like it's just right there? Like it's just right there. What like is people, it doing there? Like people don't realize, like they, they think it's a little bit outside the city, but no, it's right across right the street there. from Ripley's Believe It or Not. Exactly. <laughs> and Madame Tussauds. Exactly. That'll change within the next few years. I've <laughs> heard tell, but that's another podcast, Exactly. I think, I think so too. <laughs> David, how did you come to partner with AWP? Oh, it's the partnership about. The LGBT uh, Writers Caucus really got us involved. They're oh, the, how cool. Cool. Yeah, they're the, one, they're the ones that really got us involved and nominated us and really got us involved in, in this, this whole entire community because you guys really are a community, a huge community throughout the entire, I would say, world because this is we're meeting people from everywhere. Right, yeah. So uh, it is absolutely amazing. So the LGBT Writers Caucus really got us involved and really spearheaded us to be here this week. We are nothing but excited to be here yeah. and sad it's our last day I know. <laughs> I know. because our uh, the first day our youth programmers were here oh so, how cool i'm sorry uh, i missed that uh, yeah our youth programmers were here in the first day so this was their first conference ever ever wow. like ever ever yeah <laughs> so uh so they were blown away and mm. by the end of the day they were in tears oh. um just because of the, the the amount of people that they met the conversations that they've mm-hmm. had our youth facilitator had an hour-long conversation just just about LGBTQ youth, just about the transgender community, and, and it was, a, it was a, a straight ally that was just asking questions and wanted to know just more about who we are as a, as a community. Uh, and he was, in, he was in tears. The person that he was talking to was in tears. Oh it was just it was an amazing conversation. That but was we sort had, of, I'm sorry, that was sort of my next question because as a press, one of our missions is to serve underrepresented voices. That, that maybe don't get picked up by traditional publishing houses. And and so, you know, I guess my question is how, what does it look like to be a good ally to the LGBTQ plus community? I think to just be a good ally is to be open to conversations. You know what I mean? It's just, it's just being willing to talk and ask questions mm-hmm. because everybody is willing to answer questions in our community. We love to educate. I think that says a lot for us as a, as a community mm-hmm. is to be able to teach be able to teach everybody, um, not just straight, but everybody, more about who we are as a, as a community. And we're not out to get anybody or change anyone or anything of that nature. We're here to educate and, and yeah. just to love life. Like, 
I believe everybody else should, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, uh, I think, yeah. uh, but I'll tell you one thing, to serve the underprivileged writers, you wouldn't be able to see that here. And that's one of the things that our, our youth uh, facilitators absolutely love, that they could not believe how many queer writers, Latinx writers that they met throughout this whole last few days. Mm-hmm. Um, the community as a whole in San Antonio had our uh, San Antonio writers at the Esperanza Center last night, and it was <laughs> absolutely blown, mind-blowing, I should say, to a lot of people that was there for the first time meeting a lot of local writers that they were so they got very, to be, go out about. and hear some of the oh readings goodness, and connect. Yes. Oh my great. gosh, yes, that's really We've great. We've been all uh, youth facilitators, and our, our a lot of our youth and families are here today because they got that five dollar off. They got that five dollars. Nice. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> love that. This is still. <laughs> They've been absolutely blown away by how accepting this entire conference has been. Mm. No one has feel, no one has felt outside. Fantastic. It's, been, oh, it's just so been good. a big, it's just been a big huge community. I saw um, that part of your programming is also parents yes. that you do as part of the outreach. You do some work 100%. Um, with families as well. Tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, so outside of, of course, our weekly programming with our youth, we offer bi-weekly programming for the parents and families and caretakers of those youth. Because when a, when a kid comes out to their parents, of course, they expect that they're going to be accepting all right, off the bat. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be fine, everybody. It's not going to be fine. fine. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's not always the case uh, mm-hmm. in the real world. Um, so we offer those parents education, a uh, place to come and talk about it, talk about how they're feeling. You know, we have fathers that come and say, you know, my son is now a girl. How do I deal with that? How do I, how do I handle that? How do I, you know, instead of David, how do I call him... Uh, Danielle, mm-hmm. we offer that education to those parents and families to be able to to kind of work through that issue for themselves. And how do they become more and more accepting of their child? Because they love their child, they want to help their child. They want to be able to always spur them on and and help them with anything in life. Of course, as a parent. So when something like that happens, when a youth comes out to their parents. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a, it's a coming out process for the parents too. So we offer that help to the parents and caregivers and, and it's something that has been very, very important from day one. And it has been a huge blessing in disguise for the organization as well, because we've been able to really bring families together right. to be able mm-hmm. to be more accepting and then also to be able to just go out and enjoy life together, knowing that whether it be they have a transgender son or a transgender daughter, that uh, they're able to know how to react to the public. Yeah. Because, you know, unfortunately there's discrimination out there and they want to be able to learn how to deal with that. So we right. teach that as well. Yeah. Um, so it's a it's a great part of our, our programming efforts with, with Fiesta Youth and our parents are really, really enjoying that. What an incredible service. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. Do you know about other sister programs or, or initiatives in other cities that are doing similar work? So yes, we have uh, Out Youth in uh, Austin. They're a, a large or youth organization, LGBT youth organization in Austin, and they do a lot of great work up there. One of our goals within the next two months is we're opening, uh, we hope to be opening uh, a sister organization in Corpus Christi. So we'll be taking a Fiesta Youth on the road over to Corpus Christi in the next couple months and opening another branch over there. This coming Tuesday, we actually have the McAllen AIDS Council coming up to visit our organization to actually see how we actually present programming so that they can take it back and 
eventually open up their own facility down in uh, South Texas. So we're really excited about that. Yeah, best practices. Partner, it's about partnerships and being able to to showcase to all of our smaller communities around us how accepting people can be. Because some people can be scared of that, scared of that change, Mm -hmm. but uh, it all eventually comes together, you know. Well, it's been an honor to get to hear about your organization. Oh, thank you so much. Be privy to the work that you do. Thank you so much. No, thank you for thank you for having us. We we appreciate being here, and thank you for everybody that's been welcoming to us and having a good time with us and buying our Fiesta medals and <laughs> just having a good old time. So thank you very much. Thanks, David. Thank you. Actually, we're here talking to Chad Abushanab about his gorgeous new collection of poetry. How about it? Thanks for coming on the show. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. The last visit. Winner of the 2018 Donald Justice Poetry Prize, which was judged by... Jericho Brown. The inimitable Jericho Jericho Brown. Brown. That is so cool. Congrats, man. Thank you so much. Um, It's a a gorgeous book from uh, out from Autumn House, yeah? Yes, yes. Um, how did you find your way to this book? It began as my dissertation project in oh. grad school. I wrote it over the course of about four years. At some point, I ended up writing the poem Halloween, which is actually on page 31 of the book. I didn't plan that, but I like to tell people that I did sometimes. <laughs> uh, and awesome. it just sort of fell into place. Like suddenly I, I, I could see this project coming together, like the poem it, it spoke about masculinity and, and violence and, and addiction and just all of these things that had I realized been binding my home together mm-hmm. uh, from that moment on I could you know the last visit was sort of a thing that I could really work towards do you mind reading for us oh, absolutely is that fair yeah. great how about Halloween oh I'd love to do it Halloween for Halloween this year I'll be a man I'll work my hands to bloody rags and use my fists to prove which truths I understand. I'll paint my face into a mask of bruise, like coming home after a barroom fight. A man should fight, my father said, and lose sometimes, no matter if he's wrong or right. I'll swallow up a pint of Cuddy Sark. I'll stumble home and fumble with the light. He said, if you drink, you won't feel the marks. You'll never know the places where you've bled. For Halloween, I drink the autumn dark. I'll be a man the way my father said. On Halloween, we're closer to the dead. His teeth were crooked. His hands were red. Gorgeous. Wow. I haven't. I admit, I haven't had tons of time with the book. I just, I just bought it yesterday. But it is a beautiful collection, um, and I love what you do with puzzles in this book. There's six of them, right? Um, and they act as kind of a spine, yeah. Yeah. Um, originally, the puzzle in the book was the last poem in the book, and it was all together, like as you know. That's right. that's how it was originally drafted. While Jericho and I were talking during the editorial process about how I wanted to organize it sort of the last thing that we came up with and it's sort of interesting because we kind of had this providence at the same time like he had this idea one night and I had the same idea and then talked about it the next day um, he, we decided that we would break it up and, and use it as sort of like pseudo section breaks in the book to kind of 
you know, cleave it all together. It was, it was really funny, though. On the phone, he was like, I have this idea for your hustle, and I think you're going to hate it. <laughs> but I think you should break it up. And I was like, oh, my God, I had the exact same idea last oh night. Oh, my gosh, so that's that, crazy. And that was the thing. I was like, that, that's really, that was the last move we made. That's what locked the book down, I think. It's gorgeous, and it, 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 I believe it works beautifully. Yeah, what drew you to that form to, to start with? Um, a couple of things. My Middle Eastern heritage, partly. There aren't a whole lot of like Middle Eastern forums that we see like really hugely celebrated in English, like the Hustle. That's something that has really endured. Also, just the musicality of it. Um, I'm very drawn to the to the music of language. My poems are often metrical; they often mm-hmm. rhyme. The Hustle, with its repetition, just I don't know. That really feels like it's in my wheelhouse, right? Like it's yeah. a challenge to get yeah. those words in there. And to, and to make it work, to make it sound new each time. So, yeah, I mean, I, that's, I think that's, that's what really drew me to it. Do you struggle with this sort of intense vulnerability that, that comes through in your poems and having it be on the page and exist in that way outside of your own sort of personal past and history? I used to a lot more. These days I own it, I guess, more than I used to. Um, I remember... <laughs> wondering if I was going to like show this book to my mom when it <laughs> when it came out and I decided to swing hard in the other direction and actually dedicate it to her. So, oh wow. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> That's one way to do it. Right? Yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> Here, I, it's for you. That's your book. I always have like a freak out moment whenever I find out that a poem of mine is going to get published, like that it's going to be seen by, you know, even though that's what I've wanted, you know, essentially the entire time. Yeah. Uh, once I realize it's actually going to be in people's hands, I kind of panic a little bit. So when I got the call that the book was going to be published, I was like, oh my God, this is like 40 poems at once. This is going to be a panic attack. <laughs> Luckily, just the work, like the editorial work that I was doing, the revision kept me occupied enough to mm-hmm. sort of, you know, think past that uh ignore it a little bit i will say that once it got down to the wire like once we were really approaching the print date and the publication date i started to freak out a little bit more because i mean it is very personal and i'm kind of a shy person i don't really uh i don't really share a lot my poems are you know oftentimes how i'm able to get get myself across if that makes that makes sense sure you also, in addition to gorgeous poetry, you have a very incredible kind of envy-inducing series of bylines. You're published all over the place. How did that all start, like that snowball kind of go down the hill? I'm someone who is really, really particular about where I submit. I like to be really familiar with a journal before I, you know, decide that, like, I want my poems to you know, join the community of poems that they're, that they're crafting. So... All the places that I publish it are places that I just absolutely love and I really felt like, you know, my, my work would belong there. And I think that as a strategy, that really worked for me. I was like really, really able to, you know, get the snowball rolling, as you're saying. Um, also because, you know, there's a lot of community inside of publishing. It's sort of, it's sometimes looked at as this like individual, very isolated endeavor where you're just sending stuff out right. and you're waiting for the rejections inevitably and then like maybe you'll get a pub and then if you do, it's just on to the next one. Um, but I appreciate editors and, and publications that really work with their their poets, their writers and try to work to connect them with other writers, yeah. other, other magazines, you yeah. know, um, other places where you might be interested, you know, oh, have, have, you, have you heard of this? Have you heard of that? Right. Yeah. 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 Well, that's how we found you because we had Anna Wiener on the show. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Heard, heard of Chad. That's good editorial work there. 
man. Well, so we, so we were talking about Annalena coming over and doing an interview with us, and she showed us the hustle on letterpress. And you, you're getting your work letterpress. Yeah. Um, Tell us a little bit. My partner, Maggie Zabraka, she's an incredibly talented printer. She's been doing this for a couple of years now. She's at the University of Iowa, and uh, they have a really, really incredible letterpress lab. So she's like really taking advantage of of the the opportunity and the tools that they have there. All of the pieces that I've brought today have been hand set and pressed. The topographical images were carved from a photopolymer plate. They're actually all just about different. It's like one giant image that we then cut mm-hmm. into well I don't want to say we that she then cut into bookmarks <laughs> I you know I wrote the poems and I feel like that was the least of it like wow. yeah. the work that she's done is I mean it really can't be overstated. Oh, so and where can we find her work uh you can find her on the web if you search oh, for wow. Maggie Zabraka she's got a website Perfect. she's not super social media present though I'm 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 I'm, yes. I'm really encouraging her to like start an Instagram just for her print work though did um, you hear that listeners everyone yeah oh, maybe Maggie. maybe if she hears this now Maggie she'll, she'll do it. we want it Maggie your your viewers your consumers she can have my it. Instagram <laughs> that's it that is that's noble it's already handed it out enough that's fine no it's it's, it's absolutely fine. beautiful we were, we were all scrabbling to get the last copy that you had on you I'm one. I'm piggy on the. Island. She raised it's her mine. hand first. Apparently, it was dibs. <laughs> I can't have it. I like that you're kind of like hiding it no, away now too. It's out of, it's yeah. out of reach. Like, <laughs> um, because she sees us eyeing it. <laughs> Chad, I want to share a story, and then I want to see if you have a similar story. You're not going to have a similar story. I'm going to tell you this weird ass story that happened. It's AWP themed. I don't know that it has anything to do with poetry, although maybe it does. It's poetic. I had, a, I had a dream, AWP 19, about a Great Dane when we were en route to, like the night before we left for AWP. We get to AWP and we go to a coffee shop and there's a Great Dane there <laughs> whose name is Lucy. And she was like magnificent and beautiful and it was like I conjured this dog out of thin air. AWP 20, I have another dog dream. Uh-oh. And Foo makes an appearance in the dog dream and, like, saves this white, fluffy dog. And I tell the two of them, I mean, this is such an impressive, interesting story. Everyone loves hearing dream stories. I can't believe I'm doing this on air. This is the content we all signed up for, okay? And what appears at the coffee shop this morning, a white dog in the doorway, perfectly framed, just a little white, fluffy dog, just like in my dreams. Ah, fleesh. Off leash, just sitting there looking into the window. Like it, it just, like it just came out of your dream. Yeah, just sitting yeah, there. Yes. <laughs> but there, eventually, we there was an owner there. We found an owner, but eventually. but still, but still, <laughs> it was this off leash white fluffy dog staring at Kate. What dad. was his name? Cody. 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 Cody was a good boy. I love animals with like very people sounding names. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. What's your cat's name? Uh, my cat's name is Alonza. Alonza Little. She has a first and a last name. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. My dog's name is Abigail Louise. A L. Alonza. I love Little. it. Yeah. There we go. There we go. Uh, we had a cat that passed away last year. Um, I had him for about 12, 13 years. Uh, 
his name was Mr. Cheese. We, we never really progressed uh, to the first name basis. You our, took a hard turn for... Our relationship was very business-based. You know? <laughs> Mr. Oh, Cheese. Mr. Cheese. He never did share with you his first name? No, no. Oh. Well, he shared it with me. I just wasn't allowed to use it. Um, <laughs> I believe I believe his full name was Louis Kilgore Cheese. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it was always Mr. Cheese. Like Louis or Louis? Me. It's Mr. Louis? Cheese to you. Yeah. Was it the fancy so, fancy? It was, yes. So he's yes. fancy pants. Oh, he is. Oh, yes. my gosh. So I think... Kate's question is, how would you take this dream? I like what? Come would, on, Freud. How would you interpret or my AWG I would, 19 and 20 dream experience? I mean, I I put a lot of stock into dreams influencing reality. I mean, if it were me, I would be on the lookout for a dog to, to, to be in my life. I once had a dream that I let me preface this by saying I had never eaten pistachio ice cream before. I had a dream that I tried pistachio ice cream and I loved it. And I woke up the next day, and I bought a pint of pistachio ice cream, and I loved it. Wow. Yeah. So wow. Yeah. I, well, I also had a dream one time that I had a peanut butter and pepperoni sandwich. Um, I tried that one, and it wasn't oh. as good. Oh. Yeah. So yeah. now I'm like, eh, I'm undercutting it a little bit. <laughs> but pistachio ice cream for the win, for sure. Mur, mur. <laughs> We here at the podcast and everyone else who's listening is going to be on the lookout for all of the great work you're doing. Thank you so much yes. for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a wonderful time. You guys are a lot of fun. Thanks. This is The Blazer with Daniel Pena. We're here with Victoria Valenzuela, San Antonio writer. Woo! Hey, how are you doing? I'm all right. Cool. How are you? So we're doing a fashion segment. Oh. Who are you wearing? I'm wearing myself. This is yeah. a uh, 100,000 Poets for Change San Antonio t-shirt. Oh, tell me about that. 100,000 Poets for Change is a global happening of the uh, poetry that happens all over the world on the same day every year, September. Well, the last Saturday of every September. And there are this past year, there was like 8,000 cities around the globe that had a poetry event. Oh, wow. Yeah, so Michael Rothenberg and Terry Carrion created it out of Santa Rosa, California in response to the BP oil spill. And every year, or poetry organizers all over the planet have an event in solidarity and Stanford University archives that you can find us online. This is what I love about you, man. Yeah. You and your, and your better half, Vinny. You Vinny. guys are so in touch. You guys are like so, uh, you guys are with it. You guys, but you're also, sort of, you're, you're involved, but you also create like beautiful work. Like your, your poetry, your, 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 your writing is really impactful. You're in the community of San Antonio. Yes. Where my mom's from. This is, like, I have some roots here. Oh. kind of love it here. But I love that you guys like exist here. You know, you guys are doing the work. We found each other here. I'm actually from Syracuse area, New York. I what? Came, I came from Oswego, New York. Oh, shit. I used to live in Ithaca, man. Oh, you awesome. You dinosaur barbecue? Yes. <laughs> Remember the what's snow? That, what's that? Oh, you yeah. What's that mall? No. What's that mall? <laughs> that, that like really... It's a giant mall. It's like empty oh, though. Oh, oh, uh, yeah, it's empty now. Uh, I forgot. It's the thing with all those like all those buildings, like because it was like early 20th century. It was like those towns were like boom towns. Yeah. And then you go up into these like skyscrapers, and they're like, you know, Pop-pop. yeah, those are like there's like entire floors that are empty. It's sad. It's, it's fascinating. It's sad. It's because uh, there was so much industry, and then like you know, government happened, and they moved all these industries uh, overseas. I'm getting political. Sorry, but that's all right. Yeah, no, Amen. the the people the people yeah. lost a lot of jobs. It was crazy. Like I was still there when Carrier Company left, and the, it the hit the whole refrigerant. Uh, yeah, was it uh, AC Company kind of thing? Yeah, and air conditioning, all that. And it yeah. was such a huge company. And Nestle like destroyed 
Fulton, New York, and that was horrible. Upstate's intense, man. I used to, I lived there for four years, and I remember that, like, who said this? I think it was, uh, oh God, some writers said, you know, that poverty is the real violence in America right now. It's like, a lot of people want to cover these sensational things that, you know, obviously we do have other kinds of violence, not to say they're mutually exclusive or anything like that, but, you know, the, 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 the poverty of upstate New York in some ways, you go outside, it's a little bit outside these major cities, and it's like, in some cases, it looks like a bomb and hit these places. Like, the houses are so abandoned that it's yeah. like they're just destroyed. I, a few years ago, they were selling houses in Syracuse for a dollar. Yeah. For a dollar. I almost bought wow. a house in Detroit for a dollar. Dang. Way back. That was like when me and a, there was, they actually ended up doing it. A bunch of writers got together and they were going to create yeah. a sort of uh, collective. I want to do that. It's like a commune, yeah. And the, me and a bunch of people at the time, friends in upstate New York, we, we made the trip. And I have an essay on it. Awesome. Uh, about it was connection between Detroit and Ciudad Juarez and stuff like that. Oh. Uh, speaking of Mexico, though, you're wearing this like beautiful reposo. Oh yes, I love this. A reposo is like a shawl of sorts, but this one's like multicolored. It's kind of rainbow. It's got some blues, yellows, greens in there. The some purple. oranges, purple, the deep purple. Tell Prin- me about this. Prince purple, which is why I bought it. Oh, it's like Prince, like the. I'm a Prince fan. Hell yeah. Forever. I bought this at the Malks conference. Mujeres. It's the. It's Malks. I. Malks. It, I have the same thing where the people are like, what's like, what's Lulac stand for? I'm like, I. League of United Latin. Yeah. I have to think about it. American citizens. Malks is Mexican American. See, I Latino, don't know. La, it's it's Chicana ladies. We'll yeah, say, get better. Get better social media. What Malks? Yeah. <laughs> we got we, we to know this. This letras activists. Yeah, writers and activists. Right. So it's all yeah. Spanish. So I went there and I was presenting about my Chicana homeschool because I homeschooled my three babies uh, as uh. preschoolers, and I was presenting about my Chicana homeschool. And there were these these single moms from Mexico that were selling these handmade, handwoven, all donated materials, oh, wow. Mayan style designs, right? These are Mayan. I love that. And, and if you see the swirl here, that represents poetry, floricanto. I've always wondered wow. what that. I, yeah, because I, I I see that on like they have that a lot of the sort of like the especially central and southern Mexico, and I was like, what? I've always wondered what that stood for. It's just yeah. poetry, floricanto. So when you see a little swirl that comes out of the mouth, it means floricanto. It means that there's that person is literally putting into the air the poetry, the flower song. Floricanto. Oh, wow. Yeah, and, it, and poetry is not just words that, you know, I don't know what other people perceive poetry as, but poetry is medicine. Poetry is mm. sacred. It's yeah. a prayer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. So, Beautiful. so what are you about? Like, what's, so, we talked a little bit about this, but like, do you have, do you have a project coming out? I know Vinny's got it. Zarzamora is out. Zarzamora. Beautiful book. Yes. Beautiful book. Oh Beautiful. my god. So, I am working on three books because I'm a wild woman and I, I have to do all things simultaneously, apparently. Yeah. And I'm, I do have a chapbook that is completed, and I am shopping it around. If anyone is interested in mother poetry, it's called In Bed: A Postpartum Romance because when we had when I had gave birth to my last two children they were both c-section births and and they were I got pregnant six months after the first one was born so I was pretty much in bed for two years and so I was out of the scene for a long time this is like your second third first and second I have I gave birth to four children yeah together Vinny and I have six children oh my god yeah so in bed a postpartum romance is my love poetry to myself my own personal healing as a a mother postpartum to Vincent, my my new love, my my forever love, and to our children that we created, and to the children that we were raising together. That sounds beautiful. It's all these poetry moments. You know, all my poems are snapshot moments. So they they were just capturing, you know, like the 5 a.m. nursing and and when I don't know if you would know, my, but nursing when you're nursing, you feel the pain of 
contractions as if you're in labor, like soon after. So all the in a C-section, all the pain comes after. Wow. So it's poems about that snapshot, five o'clock in the morning. He has to go to work, and I'm nursing a newborn, and also, you know, having to feel the pain and like just carry the force of all of it, and you know. You know, it's interesting. I, I was talking. My, my little sister just had a kid, oh, okay. and she was talking about sort of like you know trying to get advice and trying to sort of get. And you know, there's always these things that are passed down. But, and then it's like the, the sort of but she's like anything to find on motherhood it's like all these these like sociological texts but like nobody has like that like yeah. these are the sort of the poetics of motherhood right and, and she's like Wait, where is that literature man I, I have mean, like, it <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah no but it's like I'm not, we need no, that man we, we do we need we, it we treat it we treat it in my opinion I'm saying this is like a, a very be uh, not the best authority on this but, you know, I think we treat it almost like this thing that like it's we treat it with like polite distance where it's really this like right. massive endeavor and it's you know, sad because yeah. that's not that's not the true way. Motherhood is sacred, and mothers are the ones that create the world. We yeah. we raise the children, and those children grow up to lead the world. Truth. So Truth. motherhood is important, and and to ignore motherhood is a tragedy, in my opinion. So I've been writing mother poetry and mother stories for a long time. All my scholarship is about being a mother, and all the different ways that I do scholarship. I consider myself a human rights activist as a mother, you know, for mothers. Yeah. Know, I'm very concerned about the mothers that are being separated from their children at the border. Yeah. You know, so that's been like a huge pain in my heart. And um, while I was pregnant is when they were, when they first announced that they were having a hunger strike. And I, my, my whole body had a reaction when I heard it, just heard it. And so I've been following along, you know, now it's evolved to they don't get their children back sometimes. They're not allowed to even, they let their children, the children are being put in foster care at times and they don't ever get to go back with their moms and, that, and dads, you know? What do you think that is, like, I'm trying to think, I'm trying to access constantly when I'm looking at the news, like that level of cruelty, and I don't even know what, I can't It's white supremacy. There. Without a doubt, it is white so, supremacy. I think so, man. Carolyn Forche has this quote in his book, this guy named Lionel who's like protagonist of uh, Everything you've heard is true. What you've heard is true. It says it's possible that they don't see us as human. They don't. And I just think of like, oh my God, that's like a really dark thing. But right. these truths, these Because we truths. are loving people and we would not understand that concept if it wasn't for white supremacy yeah. and the infrastructure yeah. of white supremacy. We would not understand this level of cruelty. We are not that way. Yeah. yeah. Victoria Valenzuela, thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Could you, real quick though, yeah. Before we split. All right. Could you roast my outfit? Well. Because we're just a fashion podcast. Okay, so you're wearing all black uh, with blue jeans. That's, I guess, you know. Yeah, I don't know. You need, <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, roast. maybe little, let's get a little matchy-matchy. But you got a Puma <laughs> shirt on, and it's the wrong Puma. It's you're, a, just like, you're just like the, the Mexican what, Puma? Uh, what's the right Puma? The right Puma would be, like, not, not a, a corporate uh, logo. The Puma de Unam. But they're oh. also Korean. I get it, man. Mm-hmm. In defense now. Okay, Yo. so, but I also got my Puma sneakers on. Oh, okay. Well, I guess uh, that's matchy matchy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Awesome. All right, Tony Valenzuela, thank you so much. I appreciate You're welcome. it. You're thank awesome. you so much. Thank yes. You. No, we are here with a good friend who we met at AWP last year. Yeah. 
Tori Cardenas. Orlandia. Oh, yeah, that's me. And we <laughs> have things to talk about in addition to dogs and ghost sharks and what else? And poetry. And poetry. <laughs> that one. Yeah. That one. Poetry. <laughs> I want to hear, hear about Skull and Wind. Yeah. I started working with them just pretty much this year. I'm at the beginning of the year, we announced my executive editorship. So exciting. Congratulations. It's super exciting. Like, I... I've been wanting to stay in Albuquerque and like work to try and like bring the literary community together and I've been sort of doing that with Blue Mesa Review but we're with the university so it's like aside from all the other unpaid labor that I'm doing (laughs) like I can't really go out and like make these connections like I really want to so now that I graduate working with Skull and Wind I think I'm gonna get the opportunity to do that because there are so many different pockets of like I don't know not just poets but all kinds of different writers in Albuquerque there's like the slam poets and then you go to MFAs and like there's all kinds of different circles even within that there's the slam poets there's poetry and beer and like all these different writers groups and they don't they don't interact hardly at all from what I can see so uh, eventually we want to have like a brick and mortar yeah. We have like a little bookstore and oh, living nice. the dream. And I want to have a reading series. I want to do all kinds of cool stuff. But with Skull and Wind, it's it's also kind of particularly uh, it's particularly Southwest. So we're focusing on publishing queer, trans people of color, non-binary people of color, anybody that's local, really. Also, because Albuquerque doesn't have a poetry press, or I don't know, I don't think it's ever really had something like that. And so. I don't know, aside from the University of New Mexico Press, which I think actually moved their offices to Kansas or something. Uh, don't don't quote me on that. I don't know, actually. But yeah, That's okay. But, like, I, I was saying University of Tennessee, San Antonio yesterday, <laughs> oh, which is like not, yeah. not, a, not a thing. A new satellite campus <laughs> way out there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh God. But it's, I don't know. To be, to be able to stay in my... I mean, it, Taos is my hometown, but Albuquerque's like... I don't know, it's like my queer hometown. I found all my gay friends here. Like, nice. we'd go out to the club and, like, get crazy. And, you know, I write my gay poems in Albuquerque. And I don't know. It's it's It opened its arms to me in a way that, like, Taos couldn't really. And so to stay in New Mexico, which I want to do, and to publish, like, other queer writers who maybe didn't have a way to come up in poetry or yeah. lit or really, I don't know. Yeah, I want to I wanna help other little brown kids like me. I yes. publish poems. Like that's the truth. Yeah. yeah. Trevor Trevor Kettner, our our founder, they're they're Albuquerque native too. And so it's like I don't know, being able to work with other other Buquenos is fun. And t- we're talking about chili all the time. As- <laughs> I mean aside from, you know, the books. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> aside um, from poetry work. Yeah. So eventually when Trevor and, and their partner move back, like, we can look into doing a, a brick and mortar. But eventually, like until that point, I'll s- see what work I can do in, in Albuquerque and the surrounding area and see if I can get some of these poets to talk to each other. Yeah. Yeah. That's the Lord's work. Oh, man. Poets. <laughs> Tell me about Leslie Contreras-Schwartz's book. She's the, yeah. the, that's your, that's the debut book debut of... Debut book, yeah. Houston Poet um, Laureate. Houston yeah. Poet Laureate. Yeah. Oh, oh my God. I, I would have fangirled so hard if Leslie were here, like... The, Who Speaks for Us here is um, her third collection, I believe. And it, it focuses a lot on voices that have been disenfranchised. So particularly women, women of color, sex workers, migrants, kind of also contrasting with uh, her own personal life experience. How do, how do we let people speak for us 
and who do we let speak for us would be the would be the clearest thing. Like if we have our voices taken away, who's gonna who's gonna let everyone know what our struggles are? Like that's not in the press at all right now. No one's talking about that. <laughs> I mean, in who speaks for us here? <laughs> do we know? I don't. I mean, uh... I talk a lot. I talk a lot of shit. So maybe I can only speak for myself. <laughs> how did how did Leslie find out about your press and find her way to Trevor and, and Oh, you that's there? a good question. I think actually, well, Trevor has a lot more connections than I do. And they went to Minnesota for their MFA and worked for Grey Wolf. And so I think through Trevor's connections, they were able to find Leslie. Yeah, I came in a little after and I'm like, I want to sell some books. Because nice. I, when I read it, I like, I, I write a lot about like displacement and, and language and disenfranchisement and not being able to speak in in my own work and I'm working on my dissertation now so when I read it I was obsessed (laughs) like I I was obsessed right away because it's I don't know it's all this poetry that I'm trying to write and trying to find in myself and it's here on this page in this beautiful book Mm -hmm. and Leslie's super cool and oh my gosh like I get to work with her yeah (laughs) so there's nothing better than the right (laughs) book at the right time oh my god for real Uh, working on my comps and stuff like I haven't had the chance to read a ton of new books but Leslie's was first on my list right like I'm gonna start working with this new press hell yeah I want to read our books and I I couldn't put it down so what's the vision then for the press moving forward well with with Trevor coming back to New Mexico at some point like you know we'd have we'd have a bookstore kind of work on on building that community and I mean I, I, I guess personally there, there used to be this coffee shop called Winnings just right down the street from the university and it was like it was the, like the center of the city for me when I first moved to Albuquerque you know you could get a two dollar cup of coffee like a two dollar breakfast slider all of the like um, dude I just paid like out eight bucks and, for a coffee dude like Jesus that's that is a heck of a whole lot for a coffee like coffee just makes me poop I don't even like the taste <laughs> of it like I don't really but Winnings had like readings and they had sandwiches and they like you know the like homeless folks that would hang out in the front and like you find mm-hmm. anyone to talk to and or over here like going there and writing was one of my favorite things and to you know stay there and write all day come back in the evening and like hear a reading I want to do that again Aww. and if Skull and Wind can like help me sort of do that like I want to help them publish all the queer poets in the whole world like yeah yes. I community is is really big on my list I know it's important for Trevor too and being yeah. from Albuquerque where it's like man coming up as queer teens like what are you gonna do you're gonna go out with your beard to like the roller rink like I don't know what you do and queer like <laughs> like as a queer teen in Albuquerque what are you gonna do you go to readings uh, yeah go to, like, a queer le- lending library like I want I want to make that space yeah Oh my god, that's awesome! Very cool. What are, what are you, Tori, doing oh, right now? Too much dissertation. Too much. Yeah, I'm doing. I'm kind of doing last edits and stuff on my dissertation. It's a book of poetry about about Taos, growing up in Taos, growing up trans, and super Catholic and really conservative. And I like animals and fairy tales, so I kind of weave that into. <laughs> um, so nice. I'm working on that. I should defend on April twentieth. So. 420. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I have I have my dissertation defense that Monday on April 20th, and then I have my last reading with the University of New Mexico and Blue Mesa Review on the 24th. So that's gonna be wow a big week. I think my mom's also staying with me. Uh, nice. 
I'm going to be coming? so exhausted. Gordo I hope Gordo's coming. Like, I, oh, God, I love having my dogs around. Gordo, I want to just Sophie. have a million dogs. My, um, my, <laughs> my boo Haley always says the correct number of dogs is N plus one. So <laughs> I'm gonna steal you, know, you that. can always use more dogs. I'm going to steal that. <laughs> hey, that's a great byline for your press. The correct number of queer poets is N plus N1. one. N plus one. Ah, yeah. Oh, oh but there's good. always N plus one. There's always N plus one. I guess it's, yeah. it's already a, That's true. Already a, Plus one. <laughs> this is why my degree is not in marketing. You said there yeah. was some exciting stuff um, too. In addition to defending your thesis, which is I, your dissertation, it's going to be amazing. Oh, I hope so. <laughs> I'm I'm still working with uh, with Warren, my my buddy from Yowl. We're uh, we're still working on our podcast, and we've gotten rights for it, and nice. so we're uh, we're in the works. Under Meow Wolf? Uh, no, not under oh, okay. Meow Wolf anymore. Okay, but yeah, I mean. I'm still really excited for the project. Like yeah, I'm, I'm, for sure. we're looking at. I was trying to explain it to Lily before we got on the mics. That's what like, I'm. There's trying like to the do. stuff that's happening, <laughs> and like I, there's a thing, and I was like, I don't know. Yeah. We're gonna have to ask her. Yeah. Originally, it was gonna be sort of like a narrative companion for some Meow Wolf stuff, but it's called Eminent Domain. Uh, it's gonna be a podcast that's. Honestly, it's gonna be kind of like like a radio production. We're trying to make it really sonically diverse and interesting and we're you know uh, like shooting on set not shooting on set but recording on set so we can get like ambient noise and the sounds of like Santa Fe where it's set and it's like are you hiring actors I mean are there gonna be multiple voices yeah I hope so we did a table read at Meow Wolf that was really dope and like all the characters that I get to write are New Mexican characters and there's one the Nino the like godfather character for our main for our main uh, lead his accent is like when when I was writing him I kept thinking of my grandpa like oh mija you don't want to go out like be real careful like people scary out there like you want to like and the person they got to do the voice sounded exactly like my grandpa and like man that that like brings a tear to my eye I never hear New Mexican accents like northern New Mexico Taos Mountain Henisaro accents like, like I never hear around that. There. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, in any kind of, I mean, maybe on radio, radio exitos or something like on the radio, but there's there's no television show or movie or or anything out there that I've heard people that no, sound like me. Right? Yeah. Man, and coming into the academy, like when I went into my undergrad at UNM, I I had that accent and like I kind of sounded like my cousins and like I watch, I'm gonna get my yellow crayon and make you a drawing and like. Go to the, go to lie down on the palo or like yeah I used to sound more Norteña and I don't know there was a lot of pressure to to sound to sound more Albuquerque to sound more white I guess yeah 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 so if I like sanded all of that away and to be able to hear it and to like kind of feel the potential in what a production like that would sound like as a podcast like you're not a not really able to see anybody but the representation is there like yeah language yeah. right language and communication sure. and dialect and, and discourse and I don't know I'm interested in all of that stuff anyway so working on a sci-fi podcast where I get to write about like weird energies and and cool like talking cars and stuff like I'm I'm about it I'm so about it I get to I get to do sci-fi but put green chili on it <laughs> oh, <that's> happy. 
I'm happy yeah, there's nothing like green chili on sci-fi. Oh, man. Yeah. Oh, man. Y'all ever like need it. some green chili? I got that. Oh, nice. nice. How, so what are the, the logistics? Do you guys have a studio? Or are, you sh- are you sharing space? Uh, What's up? I mean, we're going to figure it out eventually, I think. Still, we're still writing. Um, yeah. Yes, from the original manuscript of the like the pilot episode and stuff, now that we have the rights back, I want to do edits and we're going to organize some stuff and take notes from uh, the table read. So I think we're still going to be writing for a while, but you know, eventually once we get maybe some startup money, we'll get a studio. And anyway, I'm still in Albuquerque and Warren's in, in Santa Fe, so oh, um, yeah. if I need to commute, I can, and that's that's totally fine. I get writing time on the on the train. Yeah. What's the weirdest thing that's happened to you at AWP? Some, something that was a little weird for me last night. Like, I'm at this big reading, and, you know, we get done. We take a big group photo, and everybody's milling around, like, ah, oh, where are we going to go get drinks next? And I've I've done readings before and stuff, and, you know, like, my mom comes up and says, oh, Michelle, you did so good, and I love that. But I've never had someone come up to me randomly and be like, love your poems like what do you have a website do you have a card like do you can I take a picture do you want to take a selfie and I was like damn sure oh my gosh this is really cool I that's never happened to me so it's nice. a little weird but also really affirming and yeah. man I'm out here doing this thing and it's yeah it's been a couple several years but <laughs> hey like we're out here we're doing the thing that's awesome yeah. I'm so glad that happened weird but I'm glad San Antonio treated you well. Oh, it's been great. It's a good town. And to come and talk with y'all, like, Aww. this is so much fun. Oh, Thank yeah. you so much. Reunite you know again. Wasn't fun? <laughs> Reunite. And it feels it so good. So good. <laughs> <laughs> We are here with David Heska Wombly Wyden. It's so good to have you on the show. Thank you so much for coming. It's my pleasure. We are going to talk about your new book that's out this year. It is out August 25th, 2020. We're almost there. Getting there. Wow, congrats. It's called Winter Counts, and can you tell us about it? Winter Counts is a literary thriller. It's coming out from Echo HarperCollins, like I said, in August. It is the story of Virgil Wounded Horse, who is enforcer on the Rosebud Indian Reservation, which is where I'm from. I'm an enrolled member of the Sichangu Lakota Nation. Mm-hmm. I grew up in Denver and on the Rosebud Indian Reservation. And it's the story of Virgil, who is an, a vigilante, essentially. And the reason that he exists, and there are people actually like him on my reservation, is because the criminal justice system on native reservations is broken. Mm-hmm. There's a law that exists called the Major Crimes Act, which means that native nations cannot prosecute any felony crimes that happen on the reservation. They must hand these crimes over to the federal authorities, the FBI and prosecutors. So maybe there's a trial molester or a rapist and they've got the person in custody. They call the FBI, the FBI comes in, and about 50 to 75% of the time, the FBI declines to prosecute. So they're like, you're free to go. So we have child molesters, rapists, murderers, arsonists, thieves. Because why are they declining? You know, they claim that they don't have the funding. You know, natives, we think maybe it has something to do with racism, but, you know, maybe it's a combination of... Yeah. Yeah. Might be a combination of a lot of things. They claim there's not funding to really prosecute all crimes. And if that is the case, then I would say let's increase the funding. 
So, you know, just to finish this up, so, so the, the, you've got a, a criminal who gets apprehended and then he's let go. Well, that's bad. And so what happens is to get justice, average citizens on the res, they hire people like Virgil Wounded Horse to go out mm -hmm. and beat the crap out of somebody that had just raped their little girl. Oh my gosh. So it is the story of how we obtain justice on native reservations, and that is sometimes we have to go outside of the law. So it's his story, and the story of his nephew, and the story of his uh, ex-girlfriend as well. So it's a tale of identity as well as a thriller. Wow, wow. sounds so compelling. Oh, thank you. Did I'm you- excited to pick it up. Can we talk a little bit, we, we did a panel a couple of days ago about sensitivity readers and finding places, especially for people of color and underrepresented voices, finding places to publish. So you're one of those people who has found a place in Echo HarperCollins to publish. Can you talk about placing this particular manuscript and the difficulties or um, the journey that you had? You know, I, I cannot deny I had actually a, a pretty easy journey and <laughs> I, I know that I'm very much the exception and not the rule. There was a lot of interest in this book. I actually signed my agent at AWP 2018. Oh, wow. Yeah, wow. I, I took part in the AWP Writer to Agent program. My agent, Michelle Brower of Avita's Creative Management, she, she signed me on the spot, which was really flattering. Oh, wow. I edited the manuscript. We went out on submission about uh, a year ago, and we had, oh, six or 10 presses competing to purchase the book, and Echo just seemed like the right fit. So. Having said that, I understand that marginalized voices are having a, a tough time today, and I have devoted a lot of my professional career to trying to change that. I'm a mentor for AWP. I mentor an emerging indigenous writer. Mm, that's I have a, so great, that's so exciting to hear. Yeah, yeah, so I am very aware of this problem, and I'm doing you know everything that I can to try and create a community for writers of color. And you won the PEN America Writing for Justice Fellowship too. At what point in your career did that happen? That was for a different project, but related. I did okay. I did win the Penn Writing for Justice Fellowship. I should say, along with others, it wasn't just me. Okay. Yeah, it was. Uh, I think there were eight of us, and and that was about two years ago, about the time that I was going on submission with Winter Counts. So the Penn Writing for Justice Fellowship is a nonfiction uh, fellowship for me to write about the issue of mass incarceration of American Indians. Mm. So my I, I I my writing agenda is. Uh, there will be a sequel to Winter Counts. I'm under contract with Echo for that. And then my next book after that will be a collection of nonfiction essays. I have a piece out right now in Shenandoah about the native boarding school system. A lot of people don't know that about 40 kids, 40% of native kids were stolen from their parents in the 1800s and 1900s and, uh, and, and taken to these boarding schools mm -hmm. against the parents' wishes. My own grandmother was one of them. Mm -hmm. My grandmother was at the Carlisle wow. Indian Boarding School and I write about that, and I'll be writing in this collection about the mass incarceration of American Indians, the Major Crimes Act, that is the subject of Winter Counts. And so, so yeah, so the Penn Award kind of fits into all of this. That's so exciting. Very, very cool. But you have your pen in several areas. So I know that you published a children's book, you're doing essays. This book found its way into a thriller, and when you explain the story, of course it had to be a thriller. Is that just how your brain works? Are you doing all kinds of different things because you like to be in all those worlds? Very much so, very much so. My children's book is called Spotted Tale. Literally just this morning I got an email. It's been nominated for the Colorado Book Awards for Best Children's Book oh of 2019. Gosh. Congratulations. Yeah, and there's some other news that I'm not allowed to mention yet that other things that are happening with the book, but I've been told that I can't announce it until later. So, <laughs> okay. yeah, Spotted Will you put it on social media? I will okay, cool. at March 15th. So Spotted Tale is a children's book about the life of 
the great leader of my nation, the Sichangu Lakota Nation, the great leader was Chief Spotted Tail, but there had never been a children's book written about him. And so I saw a call from a new children's book publisher called Raycraft Books, and I responded immediately and they signed me. And so it's a wonderful children's book with some really innovative art. They brought in a native artist and another artist, and they're using a hybrid photography, artistic, visual style. It's beautiful. And I should point out too that I received no royalties from the book. Instead, I'm donating all the money I make from it. I purchased, oh, hundreds of copies. And I'm sending a copy out to every reservation school and library on the four Lakota reservations. That's incredible. So I, I do not make any cash from this. I just want that story to be in the hands of native and non-native children. And the nonfiction stuff comes from, I'm a professor of Native American studies in Denver. And so I have like this whole scholarly life as well. So I'm trying to marry sort of the scholarly analysis of, of Native affairs along with my fiction training. I'm a graduate of the Institute of American Indian Arts in uh, Santa Fe, their yeah. MFA program, which probably your listeners have heard of, uh, Tommy Orange and Therese Mayotte sure. and others. Yeah. yeah, and so they were some of my classmates, although they were there before me. And so I'm trying to marry, I think, these different styles, uh, children's books, essays, and, and fiction. But again, I, I, I think Winter Counts does a good job at hopefully bringing a lot of those strands together. Can we talk for a second, just a second, about craft? This book is purported to be very well plotted. And so I just wanted to hear a little bit about your plotting process, especially for something as tight as a, a thriller must be when it comes to plot. Thank you so much. And it, you know, I want to point out it's a literary thriller. I was originally going to sell the book to Knopf, and they were going to sell this literary fiction. But Echo, I think, wants to position as more of a literary thriller. So I, I hope that the prose is very well done. Mm -hmm. I spend a lot of time on the prose, but I certainly believe a lot in plot. Mm -hmm. So for the fiction writers out there that are listening to this, the resource that I teach, my that I use and recommend to my students, I also teach at the Lighthouse Writers Workshop in Denver, Colorado. And I teach workshops on literary thrillers and plot mm -hmm. and uh, introductory workshops. I have them read the Save the Cat series. So if anybody is out there struggling with plot, get Saves the Cat Writes a Novel or the Saves the, Save the Cat for screenplay writers. It is superb. It will help you sort of figure out where you're going plot-wise. And I, I think it's just a wonderful resource if you're struggling with plot. But for any genre. It is for any genre. Yeah, That's yeah. correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very cool. Well, it has been a pleasure to speak with you, and I look forward to reading this book. I especially want to read Winter Counts, and now that I know there's a sequel, it's going to be life-giving for a long time, it sounds like. Oh, thank you so much. It's such a pleasure, and you guys are doing great work, and again, it's just my honor to come and talk to you guys. Thanks, David. We are here! with Annie Shepard of the UH Creative Writing Program? Yes. Woo! Yes! Woo! PhD. <laughs> Who's here at AWP 2020 here in San Antonio. Um, who are you wearing? Who am I wearing? Yeah. Wow, that's a good question. The answer is I don't know. We were just talking about my shoes and I found those that are thrift. Well, that would be Nike, I guess. Yeah. Technically I'm Nike, but. They're really great shoes. When you say who, who am I wearing? I think that I got them at a thrift store. So somebody <laughs> owned them before me. So I am wearing somebody else's shoes, but I don't know who they are. It's got a good arch. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's probably worn down by now, but yeah, it's, it's got enough. They've been working. Yeah. <laughs> what are you about? What am I about? Yeah. What are you writing? What are you working on? Oh, okay. So. 
So far, everything I've written has been set in Texas. I started out writing stories about small town Texas because I went to my undergrad in West Texas and oh, at was Texas that? Tech in Dig Lubbock. Okay. And so it was just like dusty plains. Went to some really crazy, well, crazy, crazily wonderful small towns out there. Yeah. Did you go to Buddy Holly's grave and stuff? Where I didn't go to his site? grave. I mean, I saw his, uh, you know, there's a statue of him in a, in a museum of him in Lubbock. That's a cool little town. Yeah, so. it's it's quirky. It, it's kind of isolated. People people there call it an island because the closest big cities are like hours away. Yeah. Did you go to the football games? You throw the tortillas and stuff? Technically, they're not allowed to throw tortillas anymore, although a few people sneak them in. I did go to the football games. Yeah, it was a good time. Yeah, right on. Last question. you have any fashion advice for me? Roast me. Get in there. Okay. I don't know about black on black, and then you got like, you said you got your shoes matching. That's more black. It's kind of a dark blue. With dark blue jeans. So it's just a lot of like the same color going on. I'm wondering if you need like a little bit of a little bit of burst. Yeah, like I got. That's a great shirt, by the way. It's like. Yeah. I got red on gray. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a good look. And that's a great look. Yeah, and you're wearing something warm because I didn't expect it to be this cold. You it know? is colder today yeah. than the past few days. Yes. But I think you got to get some contrast in there, you know? Just yeah. like just like a good story has tension in it. You got to get some hey, yeah. You got to get some exactly. tension in your clothing. There you go, man. <laughs> some of that friction going. Get you know? that friction going. Well, Annie Shepard, thank you so much for joining us Thanks. on I think it's called the Blazer. The Blazer with Daniel Pena. <laughs> This has been a live recording at the 2020 AWP Conference and Book Fair in conjunction with Bloomsday Literary. We are proud to feature Brazos Bookstore, an independent bookstore serving both the Houston community and across the nation. Brazos curates a wide selection of literary favorites, and guess what? They deliver to your door. Please support independent bookstores for your books and book-related merchandise. Visit our friends at BrazosBookstore.com. I can tell you what it feels like. I can tell you because it feels right. I can tell you about it all night. I got a feeling this is unforgettable. Um, we should introduce you. This is Alia Volz, and I didn't even ask you before we started because I'm tired. Mm-hmm. But is that how you pronounce your last name? That is. Okay, I'm going to say it one more time. We're here with Alia Volz. Alia. Um, <laughs> you, got, <laughs> you said it right. And then I said it wrong. And then you said, great, I got it right. And then you said it wrong. Alia Volz. Alia Volz. <laughs> hey, guys, we are here with Alia Volz. <laughs> Take can we pause and just reflect on the fact that it appears that there's a cheerleading competition happening somewhere? Is that what that is? Uh, I know. I don't know. It just sounds like some interesting things happening in the background. You just never know what you're going to get at AWP 20. But keep the old one friend silver and the other friend gold. Well, David, thank you so, so much for being willing to come on the show today here at AWP Day 415. I keep making that joke. It's not going to make it in ever into the show because now we've said it 18 times today. <laughs> Thanks, Lily. What was the joke? So here, I, I can let's, put on, let's, let's do it real quick. So, so, um, so just somebody make it sound like...
Join in. Get in there, so Blazer with Daniel Pena, the mid list rider. I can tell you what it feels like. I can tell you because it feels right. I can tell you about it.